And the purpose of this study is, first of all, to help us understand our role in the church and also to understand the church's role in our lives. Because when we come together and we study the Bible, what I like to share with people is that we're not just asking you to be a member. And you put your name on the list and now you're just a part of the church. That's not how it works in God's family. You're coming into the family of Christ. This is a family. It's not a church. This is a family, a body, us meeting together. Which means each of us has a role to play in the church. So that's what this study is about. What is my role to play in the church? And what is the church's role to play in my life? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. That's where we're going to start at. I'm not doing a quiz today. Your quiz was over the cross. So you just pray about it. Let Jesus be Colossians 1, verse 15. says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So as we read this, we're talking about Jesus and the church. And it says here, it says, Jesus has all authority on heaven and on earth. And that's the first thing we got to understand. Authority has been given to Jesus. That means he is above everything. Now, what's another name for the church? It says right here. There's a lot of them, but here in verse 18 it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. So the church is literally the body. So if you picture it like a human being, and at this point, this is what I just usually point out one of the brothers that are there. You know, you look at Scott. You look at his head. Woo, look at that big old thing. And then you look at his body. Now, can Scott's head live without his body? Nope. Can his body live without his head? Nope. They need to be together. Now, Jesus is the head of the church. Not the preacher, not the elders, not the deacons. Jesus is the head of the church. The body is all of us. All the people in the church. So, at the same way, we can't live without Jesus. We need the church. But at the same time, Jesus needs the church. Because he won't be able to accomplish all that he wants to without somebody to work through to make it happen. And that's what our role is for. So we need God, absolutely. We need Jesus. But you know what? He also needs us to carry out his will here on earth. And so this is important for us to realize. You will hear us talking about the body of Christ, the body of Christ, the body of Christ. That is all of us. So it's not just church. This is the body of Christ. And Jesus is the leader. That's why in the church we don't have any extra books. This is the only book we read from and go from. There's not an extra New York City church Bible. There's not an extra Bronx Bible. It's just one. And that is through Jesus Christ. Now look over to Ephesians chapter 2. Now again, as you're, as you're reading, it's a good thing, way to remember even the books of the Bible. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So you know if you're at one of them that where the rest of those books are. So that's a way for you to even remember. Is go eat popcorn. You can figure out where the books of the Bible are. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace. And in this body, one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which 
he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, where Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the Bible says in verse 19, we're no longer foreigners and aliens. What's a foreigner or an alien? What does that mean? Anybody? What's a foreigner or alien? Yes, sir. Frederick. Outsider. Somebody that doesn't belong. Somebody that's not native to this. So he says, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are a part of God's household. Amen. And this is important to remember, because you're in God's household, you're part of his family. That means you're not like your, your, your brother's wife's second, third cousin on the sister's side. It's not one of them distant things, you know, my play brother, my play cousin. It's not one of those. You are a direct member of God's household. No longer a foreigner, no longer an alien, you live in God's house. Now, in your house, there's rules in your house. Everybody has rules in their house. Everybody has a responsibility in their house. In my house, there's things I need to do. I take out the trash, I cut the grass, there's certain responsibilities I do. There's a responsibility that my kids have to do. They need to put the dishes in the dishwasher, you eat the meal, you didn't pay for it, you didn't cook it, you clean up after everything's done. Everybody has roles to play in the household. Now, if somebody gets out of line in the household, that's when we have discipline come into effect. So you don't want to do your part, but you want the rewards of living here. That's not going to happen. you got to have your part being done in the household. So when you become a part of God's household, God has rules also. Where is his rules? Right here. So we need to live by his rules in his house. Amen. We can't say, oh, that's not really, no, that's what he says. You are now part of my household, my family, you are under my rulership. You know, I have different, a lot of people over my house, but my girls always have people over. But you know what, they ain't going to come over and kick their shoes off, put their feet up on my table, just kick back and act like it's their house. No, whoa, slow down. It's my house. Now, we family, you friends, you invited in, but you don't act a fool in my house. This is what God is saying to us. It's his house. He wants us to conduct ourselves the way we should in his house. Now, it says, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. That's the first brick that was laid. That's what everything is centered off of when you're building something. The first, the cornerstone, and everything else is built around it. And it says, the foundation is the apostles and the prophets. So where do you find the prophets in the Old Testament? Where do you find the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament? So the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible is the foundation for God's house. So let's say you're you're married. I'm studying with you and you're married. Your wife decides she wants to do things this way. You want to do things this way. You got to understand the foundation is this way. So y'all both need to come to grips with what does the Bible say. Even if that does away with what you feel, it's what the Bible says. If we're living in his house, we got to follow his rules. And so the foundation of God's house is the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament. Now, we don't live out the Old Testament where we're sacrificing animals and all that stuff, but we do learn from the Old Testament. So it is still important. But the key thing for us to remember, we are now family. Not distant family, we are now family. And sometimes, honestly guys, we come from dysfunctional families. And they don't work together, they don't do things well. Like I said, my family, I grew up, we never said I love you, it was just understood. It was kind of like the Jedi mind trick, you just know I love you, right? Right. We didn't talk about it. Until I became a disciple and understood, I start saying it. We start changing. Now my family says it. My family's changing. It's important to understand. This is now family. And what you see is what you now are a part of when you become a part of 
the body of Christ. So, again, the church study is it's not just an informational study, but it's, it's helping you understand how you need to live in the church. And this is a reminder, guys, because all of us that are already disciples and we've gone through this, we've not practiced this for so long that sometimes we're a little rusty on this thing here. We're, we're a little bit off key when it comes to certain things. So let this be a reminder lesson for you as well of how we need to conduct ourselves in God's house. Amen. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, Frank, this is a part of church that the preacher can preach on all kind of stuff. He could talk about immorality, talk about how you or a sinner and you're going to hell and people can sit there and be fine with it. But when he talks about this subject, people get all hostile. 2 Corinthians 9. We're talking about giving. Financially. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. It says, remember this. Whoever sows fairly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad the gifts to the poor, and this righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you cannot, you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So Frank, this is just talking about our giving back to God financially. So this is what we understand. What we're asking people to do is for everybody to be able to tithe. Now we know in reality, the world does a number on us before we come into the kingdom. So you may not be able to come in and give a tithe just because your financial situation is just not at that place. Understandable. That is nothing's wrong with that. We want to help you get out of that, but that just may be where you are. But the goal is for you to keep working to sacrifice to be able to get to that point. So you may not be there now, but are you striving to get there? Thinking about the sacrifice that it takes. Again, it's not about the amount, it's about your heart behind it. Are you cheerfully giving to God? And see, that's the important thing. Because once a year, we do a missions contribution. And we got, we got to talk about this with people, guys. We do a missions contribution. And in this missions contribution, we collect money from all of our churches, and we use it specifically to help the mission of saving souls, whether it's in our city, other cities, other countries, Wherever it may be. But we're going to let you know way ahead of time that this is what's going to happen. So you'll know. But I just want to help you understand now, to come into the family, you need to come in thinking, how can I give to the family? It's not about what am I going to get every time I come to church. It's about how can I give. So Frank, how do you feel about giving contribution every week? You have that discussion then in the studies. If you don't talk about it, what's going to happen is later on, when somebody asks to do a pledge card, they're going to have an attitude. They're going to have issues with it. Let me, let me stop for a minute, pause, and bring us back to where we are in the present day. I appreciate everybody that turned in those pledge cards uh, this past Sunday. There's a number of people who didn't. So we will have those pledge cards again this Sunday. Honestly, for me, it's more important that you write down what mission team you're in. I'm more concerned with that than how much you give. What you give, that, you and God are going to take care of that. I'm not even looking at that. I'm looking at who is where so we can take care of the people. I want to make sure I'm communicating that because I got a lot of cards with names on it and no mission team that they were in. So I don't know how to take care of these people because I don't know where they are. I ain't even looking at how much you give, and you know, because I don't know what you used to give. I don't get anything out of it. I'm looking at how can I take care of people. So I need people to put down what mission team they're in. So if there's somebody in here that didn't do that, take a card this Sunday. Please write down your name and what mission team you're in and turn it in. 
This is not a push for you just to give more money. This is a push to know where people are so I can take care of people in this. We come into a ministry of over 400. We got to make sure we are helping the saved to stay saved, guys. So I want to make sure I'm taking some time to communicate that to you because a lot of people left that off. We normally talk about contribution. I've been in the Midwest for 26 years. Every year we turn in a pledge card the way that I gave it to you guys this past Sunday. That's just the norm of the way we did it. Your name, mission team, email, all that stuff. I had no idea that's not how things functioned here before. I'm thinking, that's how I function all my Christian 26 years. I'm sure everybody does the same thing. It's not a big deal. I know things are different in different places. I'm learning that now. So we both got to have some growing pains together. I look at it like this. If somebody say, Maurice, how much do you give financially? That is less intrusive than saying, did you, uh, you know, kids in here, did you have some impurity in your life this week? You've been watching porn. I mean, that seems more bam than how much did you give financially. And so I'm looking at this like, this is not a big deal. You know, because I, I ask some questions when I have my deep time. So what this tells me is that we're a little bit rusty on really getting deep with each other. We're a little bit rusty on asking people the real questions. Because if we're not asking how much you're giving, I guarantee you're not asking about people's purity, about people's evangelism, about those things. I mean, I mean, seriously, it's like you should not be offended at somebody asking how much you give. It's not going on the website. It's not going on the internet. What difference does it make? So, this is a part of discipleship. I am not upset with people. I take people where they are. And it just helps me see this is where we need to grow. What's done is done. So all I'm asking is, take another card. Please let me know what mission team group you're in. That is something that I really need to know to lead this ministry. It's going to really help me out. Okay, we got a question. Yes, sir. people didn't do that because they're in between and don't know where they're going. Here's my solution. When I first came here three months ago, I said everybody needed to be in a group. So I talked about this three months ago. Jesus rose from the dead in three days. It should not take three months to find a mission team group that we're in. I'm not going to keep explaining that over and over. We need to be in a mission team. If you're not, well, how are you floating around? Which is going to lead me to my next point here. Let me just go back, go back to the study. It's about giving. We need to cheerfully give. But if you don't talk about this in the studies, it's going to be hard to talk about it later on. Because people don't know what you're talking about. Let's just be honest and real with each other. We grown men. You can talk about that. Think about it. When you were in the locker room or whatever and growing up, you talked about some freaky dinky stuff in the world. You can ask somebody how much money you give. You can ask them all the kinds of money. Anyway. I ain't gonna do Y'all understand my point. You understand my point on this. I'm not offended. I'm not angry. I just need us to, to do this. I want you to understand why. Because this is how we're going to know where everybody is and take care of people. If you still don't have a group you're in, there is a, you know what? Have all the mission team leaders stand up for a minute real quick, please. If you don't have a group, look at these men. You need to find one of them. You see who they are now. And you can say, hey, I need to be in your group. Hey, I need to be. I'm taking away every excuse. Thank you, gentlemen, very much. If you don't have a group, there's like 39 options of you where you can go. So, amen. We're going to move on. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. If I said something that offended you. My feelings are hurt. Your feelings hurt? Well, <laughs> Jesus is Lord. <laughs> New York. I know y'all can handle something like that. You drive down the street, they're going to cuss you out. <laughs> I know you can handle that. that I've been cussed out more here than playing ball. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. First Corinthians 1, 10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. Brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you are baptized into my name. What's going on here? Here's, this is what God's church was like. First century, great church, everybody together, they were growing, they were baptizing, they were doing incredible things. But as they started doing that, people stopped focusing on Jesus and started focusing on other people. I like the way Peter preaches. I like the way Paul talks about things. He's hardcore. Well, I like how Cephas talks about stuff. They started looking at people and got the focus off of Jesus. So then they started following those people. Well, I like the way he does it, so I'm going to lean towards him. His opinion's better than Peter's. Oh, I like James's better than John's. I like, and so people got caught up in that. Then it causes disunity in the church. So back then, the church started splitting apart because people started following people instead of Jesus. And that's what we want to do here. We want to make sure we are making little Jesuses and not little yous running around. This needs to be about Jesus and God and not about people. I don't want to make a bunch of little Maurice's out there because we'd be jacked up if it was a bunch of little men. We need to make a lot of little Jesuses running around. And this is what happens in the world. Let's just look at it. Jehovah Witness. The Witnesses reject the Trinity doctrine, which they consider unscriptural. Jehovah Witnesses do not consider baptism a sacrament. You are supposed to pray an intense but private prayer to Jehovah beforehand. The baptism, perhaps many months later, just serves as an outward symbol for your dedication. This is what they believe. This is one of the things they follow. Mormons. The Mormon religion was created by Joseph Smith in 1830 in New York. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church, believed that God came to him to encourage him to reestablish the church. This was in a dream that Jesus brought to earth. Smith's plan was to bring back all practices that are in the Bible, including polygamy, which was once a part of the beliefs of the Mormon religion. Now you think about that. Catholic Church who who do they look to Catholic Church hope is the man that's who they focus on that's who they get things out and that was one of the largest religious movements 1.2 billion people worldwide they convert baptized babies which Jesus never did the Baptists Baptists came into existence as two distinct groups with somewhat different beliefs and practices, but with baptism in common. The two main strands were known as the General Baptist and uh, Particular Baptist. The central focus of Baptist Church is salvation through faith in God alone. You know, it's kind of like once saved, always saved. Once you saved, you can go out and do whatever you want, but you still saved. I don't really think that is accurate by any means. But then you got some people that don't believe in baptism. Then you got people that just pray Jesus into your heart. You know, Jesus wasn't up on a cross saying, all you got to do is just pray me into your heart. It doesn't exist. So here's the thing. When you're looking at church, you got to find a place that's just going by what the Bible says. Nothing else is added. Nothing else is new. If it's not in the Bible, it should not have to happen. There's a lot of discussion about what about the, the thief on the cross? You know, he wasn't baptized. How was he saved? First of all, if Jesus says, you're coming with me into the kingdom, that's all that needs to be said. If Jesus said, just like he said, no longer will you be blind, or no longer will you be deaf, or you will get up and walk, they got up and walked. He said it, that is enough. See, if it's not in the Bible, we don't need to embrace it as if that is true. Because a lot of times, we've just heard stuff so many times, you think it's in the Bible and it's not. So, when we're talking about church, we talk about the body of Christ, it's important that you understand you just have to go by the Bible. Not what other people are saying, not all these extra little uh, Watchtower magazines or all these different things they're giving out. 
let's just go with the Bible. The same thing that the blood of Jesus was sacrificed for. Amen? And look over at chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Now this church study is kind of an informational study, but you're counting the cost with people when you do the church study. You've got to understand that. It, the counting cost is not a whole, it's a separate study, but you count the cost of people through every single study. And when I do the church study, this study is, is, is done so much, counting the cost is kind of like, okay, a, 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 just a thing that we do to help out. But we talk about here in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, says the body is a unit, though it is made of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. So according to this, it says there's a, a lot of different parts in the body, but we all need to work together. And this is the important thing to remember. When you look at our church, there's a lot of different cultures in the church. But we still need to grow. Your church needs to represent your city. And there are some areas we need to grow in, such as we need to find some people that are a little bit lighter than what we are. True. Amen. Oh, am I not more specific? We need to find some white people to be baptized in the Bible. We need to make sure we are making it really all nations. Now, I know you got to be wherever you live. It kind of looks like that. But, guys, we got to make sure we actually are a church of all nations and not just, yeah, we're like that over in Manhattan. You know, when we get together, we all nations. No, no, no. We gotta, we got to make things happen here. And so it is important for us to remember this is what it is. We need to find some people that's all tattooed up. We need to find some people that got a couple of ears. There are a lot of different people in New York. I've seen some crazy stuff since I've been here in just three months. <laughs> but you shouldn't not invite somebody because they got spiked hair. Or because they got a tattoo going down their arm. Oh, they're not open to the Lord. What? Oh, they wouldn't fit in where we are. Who are we to become God and judge whether or not somebody's going to be open or not? We got to make sure we are inviting everybody. Because you know what? That one person with that mohawk may be able to reach a whole lot of people that we can't. And one of the people they reach may be the next person to start a church in some city that's going to save thousands of people. You never know. So we got to make sure we're not just focusing on people just like us. But we're focusing on the lost, regardless of what they look like. Now it says here in verse 14, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it will not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and one body. I'm going to go ahead and read the next part, make it together. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are, are, are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lack it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Amen. Amen. This tells us that the body has a lot of different parts. Arms, legs, fingers, ears, eyes, no, all these different parts. But every single part is important to God. Every single part. There are going to be times that you feel like, I don't know if God loves me. I'm not close to anybody in the church. I feel bummed out. I'm discouraged. We go through feelings like that. But the Bible says, no matter how you feel, you are indispensable. You are needed. You are important. And this is what we got to understand. So at this point when I'm studying... I'm studying with Lamont here, and I say, now Lamont, 
Here's my question to you. You become a disciple and become a part of the church. What can you give to make the church better? Because it's not about what the church is going to do to make you better. Jesus has done everything he needs to do to make you better. What can you do to help the church? And then I say, brothers that are here with me, the two brothers studying, what do you see in Lamont that is in his character that can help brighten the church? Because sometimes people don't even see it in themselves. But I asked them, what do y'all see in his character? And I let them share. And you know, they'll probably say something like, you know, he's very giving, he's very outward, he's not afraid to express himself. Even in music, he'll be up front, he's singing, he's into it, because it's about him and God, not about how he looks. That's what a lot of people need to grow in, because they're too concerned about how they look, instead of things with God. And then I'll say, well, Lamont, what do you think you can get? Sometimes people will be like, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, well, think about it. Before the study's over, you can tell me something that you can give. But don't let people walk away without thinking of what they can give, because everybody can give something to it. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about who you are. There's something about you that you can give to make the church better. And that's what we need to focus on. But he also says... That every part needs to be unified. You know, there, there are so many different parts, even in this room. But we all got to work together. Amen. The thing about it, if tomorrow morning you woke up and your left arm said, I ain't, I ain't moving today. Think of how you feel. You go to reach for that coffee and you can't do nothing. <laughs> You're going to start getting a little bit upset later on. Every part needs to work together. Does that mean you become a robot? No, you are a grown man. So you know what? It's your choice what you do. But the body needs to work together if we want to move forward. Because without the arm working, it's going to drag my day down. So that would be like if George said, our whole mission team is going reaching out at Bay City Plaza today. And you're like, ah, I just don't feel like I can go. Okay, so the rest of the body is going to be going and there's that dead arm. There you are, just sitting there. And we got to drag along and wait. Let's have conversations with you to help you pray about it for 30 minutes and help you read something. What? How about you just get unified and do what you need to do? Well, I don't know if I can do that. Okay, well then you discuss it on the way over there and then you work it out as we're there. But see, we can't just sit around and pray about it and have coffee and watch the view and see if this is something that's going to happen. We need to be men. And sometimes we need to just suck it up and do it. Now, again, it's not being robotic. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, submit to their authority. What that's talking about is being able to be persuaded. It's not that you have to do everything that's said just like a robot. I will go and reach out. No. But if you don't understand, you talk about it, get your heart there, and then go do it. And that's what I'm saying. You talk about it on the way. Don't hold everything back because you just don't feel it right now. You don't always feel it. Do you always feel like getting out of bed going to work? Nope. But you don't do it too many times to see what happens. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to get up and go and you'll get yourself there on the way. We don't always feel like coming to church. But then after you come, you're like, man, this would have been stupid to miss this stuff. There's so much fellowship. That's important. Unity is important. If you don't understand, ask questions. Get resolved quickly and move on with the rest of the body. I can't stress that enough. Because especially the way things are today, we convert people and they come into the kingdom. Oh, some people got entitlement issues, attitude issues, rebellious issues, and okay. If Jesus is Lord, you're gonna have to let all that go. First of all. Because if the Bible says it, we need to follow it. Now, here's the other thing. Verse 18. It says here, uh, But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now, here's the thing. I don't know why, Lamont, he chose Levine and Scott and myself to be in your studies. But there's something about us that you needed to become a Christian. You think about that. Whoever was in your Bible studies, they could have been totally different than you. But God said that's who your hard head butt needed to help you become a Christian. 
They may not look like the guy that studied with me, a short little redhead dude with freckles. And I, yeah, I almost hit him a couple of times. But he had enough conviction to look me in the face and still tell me the truth. Somebody else may have copped out, and I wouldn't have made it. For whatever reason, God put the people that study with you in your studies. The guy that actually met me and asked me to come to church, he left the day of my baptism at the party. He said, I'm not coming back to church anymore. I just want you to know that. And he was gone. I've never, I've never seen him since then. That's crazy. Invite me to church and leave the day I get baptized. That's how my baptism life started out. He was married. He got a divorce. And the thing about it is, on his way out, he said, I may call you to help testify against my wife to help me out. And I didn't understand what he meant when he's like, I, I'm no longer going to come back to the church. I'm just like, I, I didn't understand. I'm like, whatever. I don't understand why you would do that. I mean, you brought me here. And he was gone. I never saw him. But you know what? If it's about Jesus, it doesn't matter what the people do around you. Now, when, we're not doing the cost study at this moment, but I'm going to do a little bit of cost with you here. When I count the cost of people, I take them through a role play. In other words, if it was Lamont, I would say, okay, uh, let's just, well, I'm going to do this for Frederick here this upcoming week. We're going to count the cost of Frederick, your brother who should be baptized soon, praise God. Amen. But I, let me give you a little prep here, Frederick, of what's going to happen. <laughs> I would say, Lamont, here you are, you're walking down the street, and your neighbor comes up to you and says, hey, I see your life has changed. I want to have a life like you. What do I need to do? So Lamont, you tell me, how do you convert me? We're going to role play. So you tell me what I need to do. And at that point, they usually say, well, you know, come to church. Okay, I'm coming to church. And I want to study the Bible. What do I do? I let that person walk me through all the studies, at least mentally, what I need to understand from each of the studies. That way, if I know you know how to convert somebody and make them a disciple, then you're ready. But if you don't know, you're like, uh... I don't, I don't know. I, I call for help. Okay, you can call for help, but then what? Because you're going to leave the study. Well, what did you learn to become a Christian? I, uh, ooh, I don't know. Okay, well then we need to back this thing up then. Because if you don't know what it takes, are you living that way? See, that, that, that enough in itself is a counting of the cost. And that is so important that we're able to do that because they need to at least help you understand Okay, you know, I gotta make the Bible my standard. I gotta know what discipleship is. I gotta know how to repent. And then more importantly, I gotta know why I wanna become a Christian and love with God. I mean, if they can't talk those things through, again, they don't have to have every scripture and every note, but if they can't talk it through, then something was missed along the way. And if you don't do that, you know what happens? You become a Christian three or four or five years, and you just sit in so many studies and not lead them, that when it's time to lead one, you forget what to do. When you can just supposedly share your life, that's enough of what you can do. You realize in the Bible, they didn't have seven studies to take people through. All they had was the scriptures to try to convince people that Jesus was who he said he was. We have so many extra tools, but can we still help people see what they need to see? Yeah. See, it's important that we know what the Bible says. Now, in verse 18, it says, He arranges all the parts and by the way he wants them to be. I'm studying with a single guy. I said, you know what? That means God has the woman that he wants you to be with. You don't know who she is. You may think you do, but God says he will arrange that part of your life for you. You don't have to worry about it. All you got to do is stay righteous and love God, and he'll take care of that woman for you. This word usually gets quiet like it is now. I said the best thing for you to do is write down what you want in a woman, everything you want. Say everything you want. Long hair, pretty face, you know, everything you want. And then you turn that paper over and you write down everything you need to change. You work on your side, God will work on the other side. That's how it works. Now, it's important that you understand these things. Then I do a little role play in this area. I say, Lamont, so say you're at work, and your co-worker says, you know what, we're having a Christmas party, and it's just, I'm inviting a bunch of co-workers over, I want you to come over to the party. Would you go to the party? They'll say, yeah, I'll go to the party. 
Okay. Now, here you are coming up on New Year's. And he said, hey, you know what? I'm having a couple of friends over at my house again for New Year's Eve. Would you like to just come over and hang out? I know you're Christian and everything. I'm a Christian too. I'd like you just to come over just to hang out. It's just a group of people. Would you hang out? Yeah, I'll go to the party. Have fun. Okay. Then after that, I said, you know what? Valentine's Day is coming up. Uh, we just have another group of people over the house. It's always a group. It's not just you and me because I know you're a Christian. It's just a group of people. Would you like to come hang out? Sure, that's a free meal. I'm going to go over there and eat. I'll go do that. I say, now what you got to realize at this point, you done met her parents three times, been to her house, and all her friends see you there with her. You dating in her mind. All because you just went over there to be nice and eat, not thinking about what the other person perceives this as. This is what you got to understand. You may have good intentions, but what counts is what people perceive from your intentions. Because as a Christian, you're going to be nice, you're going to open doors for ladies, you're going to say, excuse me, whatever. And that's not normal for the world to do. So when you do that, they're going to take it as you're flirting. Here's a great guy. So what do you do in this situation? you got to talk these things through because so many single people leave because of relationships. And if you don't deal with it now, they're going to be gone later. You have to talk about these things. Do you see why putting a name on a piece of paper should really be nothing when it comes to contribution? Because if you're really dealing with so many things along the way, that's, that's, the name on a paper is not a salvation issue. Who cares? I need to worry about this stuff. This is really what will pull me away from the kingdom. This is why we got to really have conversations with people. So they need to count the cost. If you're going to make Jesus Lord, you may not get married. Is Jesus enough for you to not get married? And to stay pure in your life? I don't know. I say, well, that's what you got to think. If you can't do it, then you need to make a decision. I'm I'm not going to make Jesus Lord. But if you trust and have enough faith in him, you got to remember what it says in verse 18. He will arrange it for you. He already has the woman waiting for you. He's just waiting for you to get your act together. Amen. He's got her act together. He's waiting for a man to lead her. And then it's going to be set up. See, I have a long church study that deals with the real issues. See, everybody over this section is all nervous right now. Sorry, right, campus is in. <laughs> but the issue is, you know, you can go to an ICMC looking for a wife. Who knows? But, uh... <laughs> The issue is, we have to make Jesus Lord. And we can't make all these excuses for why. You're still living in his house, which means you need to follow his rules. So, when you're doing any study, you got to remember, every study you do is really counting the cost of people. And when you get to the church study, this is like a really solidifying counting the cost for people. Hey Amen. Didn't mean to bore you. Proverbs 12, verse 1. Proverbs 12, verse 1. This says here, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. That is in the Bible. Stupid. It's important for us to seek advice. Advice, you got to understand, advice is advice. That's, that's somebody showing you from the Bible, showing you from their life. Whether you do it or not, it's up to you. They're going to give you advice. Prayerfully, it's going to be God-focused advice. You have to make a decision, am I going to humble myself and follow it, or am I not? If you don't agree with it, and you want to go get more advice, go get more advice. But if you go getting so many people until you try to find the person that says what you want them to say, that's a problem with your heart. If you go to one person, they tell you this, the next person tell you this, the next person tell you this, and they all saying the same thing and they don't know you were coming at them, you need to just humble out and take that advice and listen to it. But you can't just keep going until you find that one person that really, who says they're your friend but not really your friend enough to tell you the truth. That's not going to help you spiritually. So we need to look to get advice. Proverbs 15, 22. 
with many plans, with much advice, your plans will succeed. It, it just talks to us about the fact of how important it is for our advice. At this point, I'll say, let me ask you this. So what area in your life do you feel like you need the most advice right now? Usually people are going to come out with their finances, their job, their family, or their relationship they're in if they're married. It's, it's because we're all jacked up in the same areas. It's not like, ooh, this is new. <laughs> That's how it is. So you start giving advice right then and there. Why? Because if you give people advice before they get baptized, they'll be used to listening and taking that advice. You can't just start all of this at baptism. You should not be afraid to help give input in somebody's life before baptism. It'll make it a lot easier afterwards. Now at the same time, Matthew 18, 15 through 18. You have to turn there. You know what this was talking about. If your brother sins, you go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. If he doesn't listen, you take one or two others alone. If he doesn't listen in, you tell it to the church. So, here's what I'll say. Lamont, let's say we're doing something and Scott does something that is sinful towards you. He just flat out sins against you. What should you do? Well, I should go tell him what he did. Exactly. You go tell him. Don't call up Lamine. Oh, this is what Scott did to me. What should I do? You're a grown man. You know what to do. Go talk to him one on one. We don't need to get advice about all the stuff that's obvious. He hurts you, go talk about it. Now when you go talk about it, you need to go in there with an attitude of, you know what, I just want to help him see this so he can see it in himself and won't do it again. So say you go talk to Scott and Scott just doesn't listen. He's like, you don't know what you're talking about. You're a new Christian. Be quiet. That's just how things run around here. Okay? Now you got a problem. So what do you do now? Well, I take one or two others along. That's right. Go get Lamine. Go get George. Take a couple people along. And usually people look for the biggest brothers they can find to kind of scare them out of it. But you go talk to them. So say to both of y'all talk to him, and he still just refused. Y'all know what y'all talking about. You too old. You too young. Y'all know what you're talking about. So what do you do? Well, it says tell the church. So what does that mean? You give the preacher a note and he makes an announcement in front of everybody on Sunday morning? No, that's not what it means. You don't go blasting everybody's sin. But what it's talking about at that point, then you do need to get somebody that's been around more in leadership. Maybe the evangelist. Maybe an elder. Somebody else. And then you sit down and talk to them. What if he still won't listen? Then it says you treat him as a pagan or a tax collector. In the Bible, they didn't associate with pagans and tax collectors. They left them out the fellowship. They'd get away from them. They told them, you can no longer be a part of our community. They ostracized them, put them out, like that big word. They ostracized them, put them out. Why? Because it would be damaging to the rest of the church, to the rest of the the body, if they left him in there. So, the steps are taken one, let me try to help him one-on-one. It doesn't work, let me get some more help. It doesn't work, let me get some more help. Each time is a procedure to help, not to make them feel bad, not to make them feel guilty, but to help them. But it may get to a point where we ask somebody to no longer come back to the fellowship. You know, Paul talks about it. Sometimes you've got to turn somebody over to the devil so they can see what they have missed out. Let Satan abuse them for a while, because that may be the only thing that wakes them up and say, I need God, I need to come back. So let me ask you this, how do you feel about the fact that you saw one of your people that studied the Bible with you get this fellowship from the church? You need to ask that question. It could possibly happen. You need to understand, this is where we talk to them now. If it happened, how do you reply? Well, that would be sad, but I can understand. Yeah, true. It would be sad, but we would have to do it because that's what's best for the church. And so whenever you're in a situation that you don't know what to do, whether you should talk to somebody or you should not, the thing that I always ask myself is, what's best for the church? Not for me, not for him. What's best for God's church? And if that's, okay, i got to go confront it, then you got to go confront it. Even if you're scared, you're insecure, you, you just still go talk about it. That's, that's what family does. That's what we got to do. Yes, sir. What if it's what? So if a, if a, 
if a sister sinned against me, I don't know what she did, blah, 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 then I would end the fellowship, have a conversation somewhere up here in public where everybody can see me having a conversation with her. So it's not just me and her all alone in the back corner talking about something. I'm going to make her cry and she don't feel bad. I want to hug it out. No. I talk to her. If she still don't listen, then I'm going to get another sister. And me and another sister are going to talk to her about it. Is that your wife? Well, I'm talking about him. <laughs> yeah, I just tell Lauren, go deal with that thing. No, but... <laughs> And if it doesn't work then, I'm like, you know what? Then we need to sit down. You know what, Cynthia, can you join? This is a conversation. Maybe I don't even know how to relate to a lady, and I'm not coming across right. So I need to get a sister in there to help it on a sister-sister level instead of me, because I'm just like, just shut up and do it. And she's like, okay, shut up and do it. I've been around that long enough. Yes, sir. I know what he was asking, do you have to go to their disciple partner and they end up talking to them? You know what? That's part gossip. They did it to you. You go talk about it. If they don't listen, then you can pull a disciple partner or a sister, whoever in, but you don't just jump over to somebody else because they ain't even involved in it. So you got to deal with it just you and that person and let it go. Okay. And then last one, Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. It's about the joy of finding a kingdom. You know, he found the treasure, went and sold everything he had, came into it, he found the pearls, sold everything he had. That's what this is about. You gotta understand, what we have here is what the world is longing for. This is the solution to what's happening in our world. If we help people become true disciples of Jesus, that's how we get rid of the prejudice, the hatred, the crime. That's how we get rid of political corruption if they're truly disciples of Jesus. So that's why it's important for us not just to come to church and just to sit and take it and then walk away, but to come to give and then to go out and to give it to the world. Because we are the solution for the world. This is what the role of the church is about. This is how the church is so important in our lives, and it's important for us to fully participate in church. So if for some reason, brothers, as we close out, you've just been a member for the past year, two years, ten years, and not really involved, it's just time to repent. Jesus didn't die for you just to sit there and be a member. He died so you can replace his son and live like Jesus on earth and help win this world over. That's why he let his son die for you. So, some of us need to kick off some of that rust. We need to stop being scared to share our faith. We need to stop being scared to resolve issues within the body. Because that's one of the deadliest poisons when you have members with issues with other members. You've got to resolve it. Because Satan's greatest tool is not to get you to fall away. It's to get you to be a complacent member and you're just there. That's more discouraging if somebody fell away because you have a longer impact of negativity. So, we're here because of Jesus. We're now in the family. We're now brothers together. Not no way 15 cousins down the line. We are brothers. We're a family. God's house following God's rules. Jesus is the head. We're the body. And we all need to function together in unity. And that way we can glorify God. Amen? Amen.